You look great. You look like you've been eating steak for the last couple of days, sneaking M&Ms late at night and waking up to coffee. Hey, uh, I, I don't know about you, but that, uh, that fast that we went through for 10 days was a tremendous blessing for me and my life. And um, hey, listen, we weren't doing it so that, so that God would somehow be obligated to bless us. In fact, Romans and I think verse 36 says that who has given God a gift that he should be repaid? So it's not like, hey, Jesus, we went without chicken for 10 days. Now, now you're obligated to bless us. No, this fast was really God's gift to us, wasn't it? That, that um, we should, as that song says, yearn more for Jesus and for his ways. So um, I, I'm thankful for what happened yesterday with the women, what happened these past two weeks with our church. Some of us are continuing this fast in some capacity. Um, I've, I've reintroduced coffee into my life, but I think I'm going to try my best to go without snacking um, because uh, I don't want to grow up and look like my dad. But, oh, oh, I was terrible. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Sorry. Actually, my dad has lost a lot of weight recently. Um, a lot of weight. He lost 150 pounds recently, and um, he likes to say that he lost a sophomore. And um, so, anyway, I'm getting off track. Hey, um, hey, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, open it to Colossians chapter 1. That's where we are today. We're in our third week of a series of messages in the book of Colossians. And if you are here for the first time, uh, you can go to our website and pick up the last two messages, or you can catch the CDs. They're free. We want to give as much away here for free at Crosspoint. We want to reduce any obstacles to accessing God's truth, and so pick up a CD. You can go to our website under our resources tab, and, and you can listen to the messages or download the podcast. Also, we put all of our notes that uh, we have for our sermons on the website by Monday afternoon. And we've been working our way through this beautiful letter of Colossians. We're doing this sermon series through this spring and into the summer. And we have creatively entitled this message uh, series Colossians. And um, we, that was a joke, by the way. And here's the point. Here's why we're doing Colossians. There's this beautiful overriding theme in this letter that Paul writes to these people. And this theme is, is that Christ is sufficient and he's supreme. And so although this letter was written 2,000 years ago to a group of people, very different from we are in many ways, though very similar, he's writing to a group of people who have started this church and who are finding themselves vulnerable and susceptible to this sort of spiritual guru and teacher who's come in and is beginning to lead them away from the simplicity and the beauty and the power of Christ. I think the theme of Colossians if I could sum it up with one verse, would be in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, where it says that Christ is all and in all. And so uh, there can be sort of an intimidating super-spirituality that comes along with faith and Christianity, and I think that's very, very harmful. And so what we want to do is, is engage the simplicity, the depth. Now, there's an amazing depth to Christ in the Scriptures, but there's a beautiful, raw, organic simplicity that everybody in this room is capable of grabbing a hold of and letting it, allowing it to transform your life. And so we have been in Colossians. We're going to work our way through it. And uh, today we're going to settle on Paul's prayer for the Colossians. 
And really, I think we're only going to cover probably three verses, verses 9, 10, and 11. And the way that this is laid out today, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who writes this letter, is really an, uh, um, a very enjoyable writer to preach from because he is very logical and he just sort of lays out almost like a chain his thinking. And so we're going to take his thinking as it is. I don't really have any points today. I just have one overarching point that I want to make about how God wants to draw us in to his ways and his will. And then hopefully, Lord willing, we will spend some time at the end of this, not just ending the sermon and then singing a song and leaving, but that we will do what this scripture is calling us to do, that we would pray and that we would ask God to fill us with the knowledge of his will. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray right now, and I'm going to ask God to give us wisdom. Don't just pray with me. Or don't just listen to me pray, but pray with me. And we're going to pray for other churches in our area. We are an incredibly small drop in the bucket of this beautiful thing called the body of Christ worldwide. And we're connected to other people even in our valley who are gathered together right now in many different forms and varieties and styles and customs and traditions, but who all believe in Jesus and are wanting to worship Jesus today. We need a thousand different types of churches that are faithful to the scriptures and faithful to the gospel that do it a little bit differently in their methodology, but whose heart and passion for Jesus is the same. And so we're connected to those folks. And so as we open up the scriptures today, um, it's very easy to get proud and arrogant and insecure as a young church and think that you have arrived and are doing it better than other people. We're not. We're just struggling trying to figure out who Jesus is and make him famous in our place. So I'm going to pray that God would give us illumination and that he would bless our sister churches in this valley. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the freedom to worship you, our comfort. These seats are wooden and hard and built for elementary age kids, but they are in comparison to what other Christians are sitting on right now around the world worshiping you. They are incredibly comfortable. Lord, we do pray for Haiti again, and we pray, Lord, that you would let the church rise from the ashes and that you would bring beauty from those ashes and that the gospel would find an open door and open hearts and that somehow in your providence and in your goodness, you would work this for the good of your people. God, we pray that now as we open up your scriptures that you would give us a simple wisdom, a biblical, organic, beautiful, rugged picture and view of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Our desire today is not to get through a service or to preach a helpful sermon. In fact, God, I, I have nothing in me that wants to be, wants to be pragmatic are functional before we are prophetic and revelational of who Jesus is. So God, this is not today. These words that you've given us are not so that we can live a more functional, comfortable American life, but they're given so that we would see who Jesus is and that he would draw us in to this life and that we would give ourselves away for the gospel and your kingdom and your mission. So God, let us come to the scriptures with that type of humility and expectation. And Lord, we pray for our sister churches in this Patahoochee Valley especially. 
I pray for my friend Jeff Murphy and the church that he started last year. I believe today is their one-year anniversary. My church, I pray that you would bless those good folks. I pray for St. Andrew's Presbyterian and Bill Douglas and how generous they have been to us in letting us use their facility several times. I pray for them. I pray for my dear friend and brother Marlon Scott, who's pastoring Emmanuel Christian Community Church. Bless him and his church as they spread a passion for the gospel in the African-American community in our city. And God, I pray, as we pray for the African-American community, I pray that you would give us a heart for diversity and people not like us. I pray for my dear friend, Keith Cowart, in Christ Community Church, and I am so thankful for his friendship, for the kindness that they have shown me over these past few years. I pray for Evangel Temple, Assembly of God, that church that I served at for several years and love very much. As they search for a new pastor, God, would you bring the right man to them? And would you bless that body of believers who is very near and dear to my heart and my wife's heart? God, I pray for the Baptist churches and the the Presbyterian churches, the Episcopalians, the Lutherans, the Pentecostals. All of the different various stripes that name Christ in our area. Would you fill each of these pastors that I mentioned with a passion not for church growth and numbers, but a passion for the person and work of Jesus and making him clearly known in our area because Columbus and this valley does not need helpful messages to have a better Tuesday. We need Jesus. And we need men who are burning with a passion to preach his gospel. And so would you help me do the same? Thank you, Lord, that you draw crooked, you draw straight lines with crooked sticks because I'm a crooked stick. And now, open up our hearts, let the Spirit of God flow through this place today and give us great joy as we see Jesus. And I pray it in his name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's go. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to settle down on verses 9, 10, and 11 today, but I'm going to read back from the beginning of the chapter to help us. Um, to help us get a flavor for where we are to catch us up a bit. By the way, um, I'm trying to memorize the book of Colossians, and I'm not off to the greatest start in the world. And so um, here's, I'm throwing down the gauntlet. Um, By the end of this month, which I guess is next Sunday, um, I want to have the first chapter memorized. And if I don't have the first chapter memorized, And if I'm not able to give it to you next Sunday, I want you to hiss and boo and throw stuff at me from the audience, please. Actually, don't, because then we'd have to clean it up. But um, All right, let's go. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Remember how we talked a couple weeks ago about how these people were freed to live a life of faith and love and good works in these 80 years because their hope was not in these 80 years. It was in heaven. So they were released. Their, their hands were not gripped with a white-knuckled death grip to the things of this earth. And boy, that's difficult for us as Americans because life here 
on earth is very comfortable for us. And so he says, I'm, you have this hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved servant, fellow servant. Remember, Epaphras was this young man who heard the gospel when Paul was planting a church in Ephesus. Paul never visited the city of Colossae. He didn't plant this church like he did many of the other churches that he writes letters to in the New Testament. But he was in Ephesus, and he was preaching, and a great revival broke out, and it turned the city upside down. The whole economic situation in the city was affected because of Paul's preaching and they were burning their idols and people were going crazy and there was a riot. And, and one of the young men who was converted during Paul's ministry in Ephesus was this young man named Epaphras who was from the city of Colossae who then after Paul's two years in Ephesus takes the gospel back to Colossae and plants a church and now comes to Paul when he's in prison or house arrest in Rome at the end of his life and tells him that there's some problems in the church that he planted. And so now the occasion is, is that Paul is writing a letter to these people that he's never really met, but through Epaphras, he is responsible for and telling them to, to center their heart and their affection on Jesus. And so Epaphras is a, is an important guy. In fact, it should teach us a lesson. We never know what may happen when we do something for Jesus. Paul is preaching the gospel to a bunch of crazy Ephesians, and there's this guy who's there who then, a couple years later, takes the gospel back to his city, plants a church, and it becomes one of the churches that is, has a letter written to it in the New Testament. That's, that ripple effect is spectacular. It's amazing and, and incredible. And uh, Obviously, I'm more excited about it than you are. <laughs> so... Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So Paul writes to them and he says, I see something in you and what I see in you is fruit and it's because of the gospel. And we talked about the gospel last week. In fact, I recommend if you missed last week to get the message about the gospel. And now in verse 9, he makes a transition to a prayer for the Colossians. And that's what we're going to settle on today. And he says in verse 9, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with, listen to this now, with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. If there's one thing that I think I'm probably asked most, or is the question that is asked most by people in kind of the church culture in our church is, how do we find God's will for our lives. And Paul here in this prayer, I want you to see this because there's three little steps he takes, three things that are linked together. He talks to these Colossians and he says, I am praying for you that you would know the knowledge of his will, that you would be acquainted with this. Now, in, in America, in church culture in America, I think that this is one of the downsides of the way we do church. Reynolds mentioned it earlier about how we have kind of created a consumer culture where basically we've taught Christians to, and I think this has to do because of the egos of pastors, we basically want big churches, we want people to come, we want, we want salaries, we want acclaim, we want, we want renown. And so we, we try and kind of compete with other churches and make our services 
better for other people. And so we try and provide things for people. And part of the downside of that is we've created people who sort of see God as kind of like a little puppet who's up there in the heavens, who's, who's here to serve us. And so this whole knowledge of the will of God for our lives, many of us approach it as if there's, you know, some specific thing about like God wants you to do this, this, and this. And if I could just figure out the scriptures, then God will help me live a better life here and now. Now, of course, God is intimate. He knows the number of hairs on our head. The scriptures say in Matthew 6 and Matthew 10, Jesus said he knows when birds fall to the ground. So, yes, there's a specific thing that God has for us. But the the over um, consumption and indulgence and obsession that we have with the will of God, I think, speaks to our complete selfishness in America today because all we care about is whether or not we're supposed to take this job or that job or marry this person or that person. And it's incredibly, I mean, we live a life focused on our belly buttons, right? I mean, my little four-year-old daughter, she's kind of broken the habit, but I, I've told you before, she just, she she has this, you know, I used to suck my thumb, and but she she plays with her belly button and it's just her whole world for her first couple lives her her, for her first couple years just revolved around this little comfort around her navel and she would fall asleep with her index finger in her belly button and 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 she would fall asleep on our bed and we'd move her we'd move her hand over and as she was asleep she'd move it right back (laughs) and this obsession with the will of god for our lives shrinks down the creator of all things as if he is our servant trying to help us find the right job or the right spouse or the right whatever. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't give us incredible and specific direction, but when we are self-obsessed and absorbed with God's ways for our little particular situation, we miss the grandeur and the bigness and the hugeness of the way God is. And what he calls this into. In fact, this word in the original language that Colossians was written in Greek is this word thelematos. And it doesn't necessarily speak to specific instruction, but it says this is the this is a definition from a, a, a Greek dictionary. It says that this is not to be conceived as a demand, but as an expression or inclination of pleasure towards that which is liked, that which pleases and creates joy. When it denotes God's will, listen to this, it signifies his gracious disposition toward something. It's used to designate what God himself does of his own good pleasure. And so what this, what Paul is praying for these people is not that God would show you some sign specifically, necessarily, so that you would know who to marry or know what to major in or know what job to take. Although we certainly should pray for those things and God gives us promptings and direction through community and the knowledge of his word, which we're going to get to. But it's more the sense that we would we would know who God is, that we would know his ways and that we would be full of his wisdom and his his sense and his his gracious disposition towards his people so that we would act on it and we would live a life, whatever it is, whether we take this job or that job or go this way or go that way or marry this girl or date that guy, that we would have this way about us, that we would be guided by God and it would, it would bless us. And so... That's the first thing that Paul prays for them. He prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. 
Let me just say that, let's stop here and say that a little word about a kind of a downside of American culture sometimes is there's sort of a super spirituality in our churches sometimes where, where people, and I think it's really born out of insecurity, people will tend to get kind of super spiritual and feel like they have a word for you or that they have some special esoteric knowledge of Jesus and that can become very intimidating and very dividing and we, we just, that's not what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about a practical, rugged, raw sincere simplicity listen for those of you and i come from a charismatic background and i believe earnestly in the fullness of the gifts i believe that they are still in operation today but for those of us that come from those backgrounds sometimes we lean too heavy on the spirit of god at the exclusion or forsaking of the practical wisdom of the word of god listen if you In fact, later on in chapter 2, in Colossians chapter 2, Paul says that if you have Jesus, that in him dwells all the fullness of God. And so don't be intimidated by people who kind of talk in a super spiritual way and feel like they have some special, you know, sense that God, you know, I've got a word for you, brother. There's a practical wisdom, a way, a sense of who God is, a disposition that we, that we would be filled with this knowledge so that we would be people that, that live for him. So why does Paul pray this? Okay, so now we finish verse 9. So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, period. So he could stop there and move on to something else, but he doesn't. He says, now the reason that I want to pray for you is so that it would now produce something in your life. And that's what verse 10 is. So as to walk in a manner worthy of... Of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So Paul, get this now, get this thinking. The first thing he says is, I'm praying that you'd be filled with the sense of who God is and the way he is. And that you would carry with you the disposition of God in whatever you do. Wherever you go, wherever you go to school, whatever job you take, whoever you marry, however you live, wherever you're stationed, whatever you do, whatever your vocation is, that you would carry with you this sense of who God is. Why? So that you can... Live a good, self-satisfying life so that you can just get to heaven? No. He pushes us outside. He says, so that we would walk in a manner worthy of God, that we would please him, that we would be an aroma of Christ. Listen to this. You have a Bible, 2 Corinthians. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. This is a beautiful text. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And this is, this is the heart. Paul writes this letter too to the Corinthians. And this is the heart of what Paul is saying to the Colossians and he's saying to us. He's saying, I want you to get so close to God that it begins to reflect and, and, and just kind of seep out of you, that it would be an aroma of Christ. This is what he says to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Listen to this. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So there's this sense that Paul is writing to the Corinthians and to the Colossians that he's saying that I want you to, I want you to smell like Jesus. I want, I want your aroma to just give off this sense of who Christ is. Listen to this. Now, that gets hard. Verse 15. 
For we, because right now we're thinking, oh, cool, butterflies and lollipops. You know, I smell like Jesus. Yay! And they will know we are Christians by our love, by our kumbaya. You know, it's it's happy right now. We're we're going good. It's cool so far. But check it out. It takes a left hand turn here. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved, and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. What he's saying is is that if you you press into the knowledge of who God is and you become like him, it's going to produce a duality, a two-edged sword in the way you're perceived by the people in your world and in your culture. To some who are being saved, who are being drawn to Christ, it will be a refreshing fragrance of life. And to others, it will become offensive, and they will hate you, and they will revile you. And there's an aroma that we give off that is going to cause both of those things. And then he goes on to say, who, who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Listen, that's one of the reasons here we just, we, we preach the gospel. I think you've probably figured out by now. We don't hold back. We don't water it down. We preach Jesus. Listen, just hadn't planned to say this, but you need to hear this. We believe that Jesus is the only way. The scriptures are clear in this. We believe that there is salvation in no other name. That's Acts chapter 4. Jesus says in John 14 that, that in him is life and that no one comes to the father except through him there is a beautiful kind gracious exclusivity to jesus and there are some people in this room who do not believe that there are people in this room who have grown up in the church that probably believe that there's really basically no punishment for sin but one of the kindest most sincere things that i can say to you is is that all of us All of us, whether we are terrorists that fly planes into buildings or whether we are good little Baptist kids that grow up at the corner church, all of us are born separated and sinful from God. And the punishment for our sins is the wrath of God that is barreling down on the head of every person in this room, except for those that have received Christ who bore the wrath of God on the cross. He satisfied it fully. And he diverted God's wrath and justice and anger against human rebellion and turned it into favor for all those that repent and believe in Jesus. And so the point is, is that Jesus is the only way. We, we believe that. That's our message. That's why we don't have time to talk about silly things. Like how to, have, you know, how to be a, a better husband on Thursday night. Right? We want to preach Jesus. We want you to fall in love with Jesus. And from that, you will be a better dad and a better husband. Humble yourself. Serve Jesus. Serve the king. Give up your selfish desires. And that will make you into a better husband. That's why we don't, we don't preach about you know, silly little sermon series on, on getting out of debt or all this kind of... All that stuff flows out of the fact that Jesus rescues us. And he is the only redeemer and savior. And that message, friends is offensive to some of you right now you're 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 being encouraged and you're being filled with grace and awe and wonder and who 
Christ is, and some of you probably, whether you're in this room or listening later on via the podcast, are being filled with angst and anger because you can't believe that I would be so exclusive. And you're living out what I just read. To some it's the aroma of life. To others it's the aroma of death. Let it be the aroma of life to you. And Paul says, live in this way so that you produce an aroma that people would see Christ in you. So he says, so walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So do you see this loop? He's, he's, he's done a, a concentric circle here. Okay, He's, he's, he's made a, a logical loop. He says, I pray that you would increase in the knowledge of God's will so that you would... It would produce something in you. It'd be, it would, you would exude Jesus. It would bear fruit. It would, it would, it would do something for God's fame and His glory that you would, you'd be more like Him so that people would see you. And some people are going to see that and they're going to be encouraged and drawn to Christ. And some people are going to see that and they're going to be offended and pushed away from Christ. But that's not your doing, Christian. You don't water it down. You be sincere. You don't peddle God's word. You speak as a man sent from God or a woman sent from God. So he's saying, see the, lo- the logical loop here? He's saying, Pursue knowledge, and this will make you more like Jesus, which then gives you more knowledge. See, so pursue knowledge, reflect Christ, and then that makes you more knowledgeable, so that you can reflect Christ, that makes you more knowledgeable. So I know I'm going all over the place, but it's really a loop. It's a loop. And so we, there's this sense that as we, as we go after Christ, and we become more like Christ, and we learn, and we grow, and we, 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 we go deeper into who Jesus is. And just a word here about... But how do you, that last phrase there, he says, he says that we would increase in the knowledge of God. How do you do that? Let me just give you three words. And we can unpack this later, and we've done that before, but just three words. There's three, three important elements for us to increase in the knowledge of God is, is the word. Listen to me now. God does not mature his people apart from the scriptures. Okay. If you and I don't want to beat you up. I mean, listen, I, I'm right there with you. I have been on staff at a church, professionally employed as a minister, and had a very anemic relationship with the Bible. And only by God's graciousness has He drawn me into a love for His Word. But you, you've got to have a relationship with the Bible, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. The most important thing, maybe you can do today is just if you're not a regular digester and reader of god's word figure out a way man figure out a way look we know how to do stuff right look we know how to look some of you you got stuff t-boat and dvr we know how to plan look i know what you're gonna be doing at three o'clock today you're gonna be you're gonna be ready man you have spread your day out so that you can watch the jets play the colts or the Saints play the Vikings, or whatever. And you got, I know you got 24 TiVo tonight. I know you do. And, and I got, pardon the interruption, set to be recorded at 5.30 every day this week. I'm back in the game, baby. Tony and Mike are back on my TV. The fast is over. Give it to me, Kornheiser and Wilbon. Look, we know how to plan. I know how to set aside my day. We, we know how to do this. But all of a sudden, when we come to God's Word, we're just like, like oh, it's, it's hard to understand. I, I know it's hard to understand. It is. When you're first coming to it, because you're coming to it as a baby. But you know what was also hard to understand when you first heard it? 
English. <laughs> English. But you keep coming to it. You keep coming to it. So word, spirit, and community, the spirit, the word of, the word of God comes to us through the spirit of God. And God, through prayer and through us crying out to him collectively as people and individually, he grows us. You're not a person that's regularly praying. You, you, come on, you don't have to fall into that religious language that you just say, God, help me, help me, help me, give me a sense. Even right now as I'm speaking, you can cry out to God and say, God, fill me with, with a knowledge and a passion of your will and who you are so that I'd be more like you. Not so that I can you know, have some specific deposit of divine knowledge for this one thing, just that. But God, make me more like you. Give me a passion for your word. Pray that right now. And then the third word, word, spirit, community. Look, you've got to be connected to a group of people. That's why, it's one of the reasons why we call ourselves a tribe. There's no strange thing beyond that or behind that. We just like to see ourselves as a group of people that are, that are doing life together. We're on a mission together. We're, 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 we're running through the forest and through the hills together. We're a tribe of people who are going from place to place in God. That's why, why we, we call ourselves a tribe. Somebody emailed me this week, and it's a really sweet young lady that's been coming to the church, and she was kind of like, what, what do you mean by when you say that? Like, am I going to get taken out back and put like, you know, she didn't say this, but I can imagine her thinking this, put war paint on me or something, or some freaky cult thing. No, we're just, we're, we just see ourselves as an organic group of people who are messed up. Listen, this church is jacked up. This church, is, this church has got issues. We got problems. We got weird people. We got goofy people. We got selfish people. We got a, we got, we got a jacked up pastor. We got stuff that we need to work on. We're, we're a mess. And this church is a mess. But a beautiful mess. A grace-filled mess. And this just in every other church. Every other church is a mess. Some of them just realize it and others don't. We realize it. We're a mess. But it's in this mess that you connect with and you, you learn and you, you see Christ in other people and you, you, you grow, man, you grow. And so if you've had a bad experience, if you've been hurt in another church and you are letting something that happened to you 20 years ago prevent you connect from connecting with God's healing agent, the body of Christ, come on, man, come on, I beg you, I beg you, get over that hurt and give your heart away for the sake of the community and the body of Christ and growth in Him and usefulness in Him which comes through the church. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. He says to the Corinthians, starting verse like 11, 12, and 13, he says, we've, Corinthians, we've opened up our hearts wide to you. But you're restricting your affections. Open up your heart as well. So here's my guarantee to you. You're relatively new to Crosspoint. You're here for the first time. You feel like you need to get connected to a church. I pray this would be a great place for you. But there's strange people here. There's arrogant people here. There's selfish people here. You may be here for the first time and nobody said hello to you, and I'm sorry about that. Like we're working on that. Not intentionally, but we're, we can be a cliquish, fickle, selfish, self-absorbed group of people. I know that. I'm like that. You're like that. And that's why we need to rub up against each other and grow in the knowledge of his will so that we can be used far beyond ourselves. Right? And you know what? If you do click in here, eventually I'm going to say something that you're going to disagree with. Don't run off to another church just because the pastor made you mad. Come on, connect. Now, certainly there are times when, 
when, when you have to move for various reasons, I understand that. I'm not trying to run a Jedi mind trick on you. But come on, be, a, be somebody who does life with other people. Like there's this thing here in the Bible Belt. It's like, where do you go to church? Like it's a place where you go. Like, where do you go? Like that's said, where do you go? I don't go to church. We are the church. We do life together. I go to Winn-Dixie. That's where I go. I go to the dry cleaners. I go to the spectrum. I go, I go to Piggly Wiggly. I, 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 I go to the game. I don't go to church. We are the church and we gather regularly for the exaltation of Christ and the encouragement of our souls and the spreading of a passion for him. And that's what we're here to do. And that's what Paul is praying for these people. Okay, so let's end it up now. Verse 11. He says, pray that, go back to verse 9, pray that you'd be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that you'd walk in a manner worthy of him, that you'd please him, that you'd bear fruit and the increase in the knowledge of God. And then he, in verse 11, prays this last little line for them, and it's full of power. And he says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. And so we could end it there and we could be encouraged and we could be charged up and we could leave this place and we could say, yeah, it's not against us. And that he is, he is, Paul is praying that we would be filled with power and glorious might. And if we were to go to Ephesians chapter 1 right now, we won't take the time to do it. But if we were to read from Ephesians chapter 1 verses 15 through 20, we would read about how this power is the power that Christ was resurrected from the grave with, that this power of the Godhead, this glorious might that is on our behalf, that God uses it to raise Jesus from the dead and is now ours as well. And so we could run out of here and we could say, yes, we don't have any worries because the Trinity is on our side and so everything is going to go okay for us. Except for this last little clause on the end of this sentence, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Listen to this now. For all endurance and patience with joy. So may the power of the Trinity be yours, comma, so that you can take it on the chin and endure and live in a way with grace and perseverance and joy in this broken world that will jump on you and knock you down. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. I think it's beautifully represented in this passage that's to the right a little bit a few books over i think that it's this truth about how god is for us but that that's no guarantee of earthly success and that there's this power that we would smell like christ and that we'd be people that reflect him in good and bad and success and tragedy is beautifully represented in this chapter in hebrews 11 this is for those of you that have been around church life for a while, you know that this Hebrews 11 is this famous chapter. Some people call it the Hall of Fame of Faith, and there's these great heroes of the Bible that are mentioned in it. This is a verse that's quoted often by uh, prosperity preachers on TVN who are whack and wrong in their theology, and I I really caution you against listening to that stuff because it's dangerous, because it's only, it's only, it's, it's a very poorly represented view of the scriptures that god is somehow obligated to give you success if you have faith here in these 80 years not so 
But we read in the first chapter of Hebrews 11 about the great men of God like Abraham who did these great things and Enoch who walked with God and Moses who through him because of his faith God God parted the Red Sea. And then let's pick it up in verse 29. It's, this is a courageous, this is an, this is an exciting, this is a power-filled, this is a yeah, we're going to win this game um, portion of the scriptures. But then all of a sudden it takes a left-hand turn. Check this out. Verse 29, Hebrews 11. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as if on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, yes, we won. Verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. That's recounting the story out of Joshua, right? Yes, yes, we won that one too. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Again, a story out of Joshua. Yes, God gave us favor with one of their people and, and we snuck in and we won. Yes, verse 32, and what more shall I say for time would fail me to tell of Gideon. Remember Gideon, he had an army of 20,000 people. God in his providence, to show his power, whittled that army down from 20,000 down to 300. And Gideon still won. Yes, that's a victory. Gideon, yeah. Our first string tailback was out. The second string guy had a bad hamstring. They brought in the third string guy. He fumbled. The fourth string guy ran a touchdown. Yeah, Gideon, yeah. Barack, Samson, strong dude, breaking down the temple. Jeff, uh, Jeff, uh, whatever, Jeff. And David and Samuel and the prophets, listen to this, who through faith, listen to this, I mean, this is, this is, this is encouraging, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, who were made strong out of weakness, Became mighty in war and put foreign armies to flight. Right? So God, this is that first part of that prayer that God is praying for, Paul's praying for the Colossians for power with God's glorious might. Yes! Verse 35, first part of the sentence, women received back their dead by resurrection. Yes! And all of a sudden, it takes a sharp left-hand turn. And there's not even a preposition. There's not even like a conjunction. There's not even a but. And oh, by the way, this might also happen. I mean, it's with, I mean, it's with this resounding faith and victory. Women received back there, dead by resurrection. Oh, and some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Remember Gideon? These people were tortured. Verse 36, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They, were, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Go to verse tw- chapter 12. Now, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which, so, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
So back now to Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. Paul says, May you be strengthened with all power. And if it be God's will for your life, may you be like Gideon. And may you send a foreign army to flight with 300 people. And may God do miraculous things through you. And may the aroma of Christ spread from your life in your success. Or in God's providence, may you have trial after trial after trial after trial. And through that, may God strengthen you with his glorious might and give you endurance and patience for joy so that even through your distress, God would be glorified and the aroma of Christ would spread through you, whether you are empty or whether you are full, whether you are successful or whether you are a failure, that you and we, Crosspoint, would press into God in such a way that we would be so full of his will that God, the aroma of Christ, would, would exude from this place. And we would have endurance and joy. And so here's my, here's my call to us today. May we pray that prayer for ourselves. May we press into God. May we open ourselves up and say, Jesus, do whatever you will with us. May you grow us to a great church that has incredible impact. Or may you cause us to struggle. Scratch and claw. But either way, would the aroma of Christ exude from us. Personally, God, would you, would you cause my life to be full of success so that you would be glorified in me? Or God, if it be your providence, would you cause me to struggle well? So that the aroma of Christ would fill my life. And would you give us endurance and patience. So that we would walk in a manner worthy of him. Let's pray. Father, as we spend some time now to respond to you. We confess that we, um, we have been duped much of our lives, most of us, by a pragmatic, functional view of you, Lord, that if we do this, then you're obligated to somehow bless us and that everything will be okay for us. And that the world will glorify Jesus because we got a job or we, we have some earthly success or whatever. And God, that may very well be the way that through us you want to spread a fragrance for Jesus in us. But Paul seems to expand it here in this prayer to the Colossians and the prayer that I think we need to pray for ourselves. God, that we would be so full of Jesus in our lives that we would walk in a manner worthy of you, that we would please you, that it would be the aroma of Christ. To some it will be life, to some it will be death. And that you would fill us with your might and your power so that we can endure whatever life brings us. Whether it's a bad report from a doctor, whether it's a wayward teenager, whether it's a difficult marriage. And God, even in those things, we show your glory by depending on you, by, by, by praying that you would change the hearts of these broken situations. And God, we believe that you will move on our behalf. But God, 
Our prayer right now is for endurance and patience and joy. Because these 80 years that you may graciously give us are not all that there is to it. Paul is writing to the Colossians and he's saying, lift up your eyes. He is your glory and the lifter of your head. Don't live just for the here and now. Christ is better than the American dream. He is better than the corporate ladder. He is better than the house in the fancy neighborhood. He is better than the next car. He is better than that. And sometimes, for some people, He proves Himself better by making His aroma through your struggle point a world that's addicted to comfort to Jesus through your trial. So God, would you give us, would you give us that perspective? Would you, would you lift our eyes from coolness and hipness and comfort and stuff? And would you give us endurance? And would you fill us with glorious power and might? So that we can burn with a passion for Jesus, with joy. God, I pray that you'd do that right now. And for for those in this room, Jesus, would you do that? Would you do that? And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.